Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Good morning, Bill. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's another week. It is another week indeed. And for me, I have, I'm starting off with a day of PTO. So anyone who watched the video version will see I'm, I'm not wearing a suit and tie. Yeah, so nice of you to join us on your day off. Well, we have a few things to talk about. You know, there's updates on a few things in Congress, and then also monkeypox continues. I just looked up the numbers for us today. It looks like there's been 14,115 confirmed cases in the U.S., and over 40,000 cases, actually 41,000 worldwide. And most wow. of those are from places that aren't used to having monkeypox. So still spreading, although it looks like it might be slowing down a bit in Europe with vaccination. Worrisomely, so though, there's children and now a dog that have been infected. Really? I mean, my understanding is this is much more extensive than any prior monkeypox outbreak. Is it that right? Been. Yes. And it's interesting because there have been genetic studies of the virus and there have been some mutations that have been detected in the virus, but they don't really seem to be significant enough that it would account for why it's spreading now compared to previously. We've had monkeypox outbreaks in the U.S. before, like there was one back in the early 2000s linked to imported giant pouch rats from Africa that then infected pet prairie dogs, but that was very quickly contained. So why it's spreading now is a little unclear. Interesting. But you said it's been in children. I had heard that. And even a dog, it's been documented? Yep. Transmitted from human to dog. And a wide range of mammals can be infected. We have to assume that any mammal could be infected. So people that are infected need to be careful because if it starts spreading into animals, then it can have the animal to animal spread. And that could have implications for our ability to control the outbreak. Yeah. Wow. I think the most important thing then is for people to be aware that and that go get tested. I know that there's talk, they're trying to scale up vaccination, but that's been a challenge as I understand it, both in terms of availability, route of administration to try and extend the amount that we have in terms of vaccine stores, if you will. And then last but not least, just the, the system itself to deliver the vaccines is just kind of stressed because of COVID. That's, I, is, that, is that the same kind of things that you're hearing? Yeah, it is. And it seems like as with COVID, there's some disparities in who's able to get the vaccines and some of the minority populations that are at risk have had a harder time getting vaccination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some themes common to COVID around access to care and preventative tools and also probably the ability to isolate versus not and some of those things. And also testing. So testing is really key. It's happening in your very division, right? So what are the numbers like there? Yeah, so we started testing on July 11th, 7-11, and as we've discussed before, we're one of five labs that was selected by the CDC to perform the CDC's PCR test, which has been FDA cleared, and we'll get into that and why that's important, I'm sure, but so far we've tested 792 specimens and 120 have been positive, so that's about a 15% positivity rate, which is about what we're seeing nationwide. 
the positivity rate will probably go down as we ramp up on testing and we're able to accept more specimens. People will probably start sending more specimens, maybe from lesions that aren't as suspicious. Right now, we're probably getting the ones that are of really high suspicion. Wow. Well, that's good, I guess. But that 15% right. positivity rate and that 14,000 plus case number are both significant. And I think really, that's one of the big questions on people's minds. This has evolved slowly. And is this really a public health issue? And I think those numbers say clearly it is. It's been a great job. We talked about how the lab here at Mayo did another Herculean effort to get that test kit validated within four weeks or so. And that takes a lot because people that was asked, well, how is, why is that that big of a deal? You just have to get the cat and put it in your lab. Well, it's a big, big deal because you got to validate all the performance characteristics, have to work with the CDC to get the right control materials, lots and lots of work. And one of the challenges with this particular test is it's not automated as we talked about. So I know that's been a big stress on the lab is that it's just the demand now is high, which is good. The way the test is designed, it's not designed for an outbreak of this proportion so, or magnitude. So it's been a, a lot of work, is my understanding, to get the test up and going. Yeah, you're right, Val. There are a lot of challenges. So first of all, as you said, it's not an automated test, although we're slowly introducing automation, but everything has to get approved from the FDA. If we're going to change anything about the test, that needs to be approved. So we were able to get approval or clearance from the FDA or special permission to use an automated extraction platform, for example, rather than extracting all the specimens manually using a column-based extraction method. If anyone's done that, they'll know that that's not amenable to high throughput. Then we have the problem that the staff that are doing monkeypox testing are the same staff that are doing COVID testing. And add on that, on top of that, ova and parasite testing because the parasitology and virology labs share the same staff, which is great. It gives them variety in their day. They can do some parasitology, some virology, but our volumes for ova and parasite testing right now are through the roof. So folks are getting pulled in lots of di different directions. You can imagine this is a bit stressful. Yeah. And then finally, I'll mention monkeypox, the live virus should be handled in a BSL-3 setting. So that would probably be our biggest challenge there too, is our developers, when we had to validate this test, had to do all the work with the live virus isolates where we knew there was a high amount of virus in a BSL-3 lab. Yeah, they're not easy to come by and they're cumbersome to work in. First of all, I think a lot of labs across the country are just facing the same kind of staffing issues that we are, and it's tough coming on the heels of COVID. As I've said, probably on our podcast before too, it's kind of like COVID was like, this is now like running a marathon and then ending up at the track to run sprints. It's how it feels for a lot of us in laboratory medicines. But some important lessons learned too, in terms of just like before, we now have a public health emergency and the, which creates the potential of there being an EUA. I know that uh, Tim Stenzel from FDA has, I think he had a call with the ACLA to kind of share with people what that might look like. So again, whether or not we should issue any, an EUA should be issued, I guess it wouldn't be we, it'd be the FDA. For those labs that are investing the resources and they're significant, as you say, to developing a test for monkeypox for running their labs, this will be a, a real challenge. Yeah, it means that they're going to need to submit their test validation data, the performance characteristics that they've determined to the FDA for authorization using the emergency use authorization or EUA process. And you're right, Dr. Stencil had the call with ACLA. There are going to be templates available, similar to what 
we had for COVID, for SARS-CoV-2 PCR testing. I believe that they are accepting test packets early as a pre-authorization submission. So it seems like it's imminent, although it hasn't happened yet. So yeah. stay tuned if EUA will be declared. Yeah, indeed. And the other thing we're seeing now is some of the test manufacturers, you know, Logic, I think Roche are, are actually working on monkeypox tests to be put on their higher throughput platforms. You know, people can wonder why, why hasn't that happened sooner? And again, with compared to COVID, COVID, we, of course, was, we knew right away that we were way underwater with the need for testing. So the government did things like guaranteeing what the reimbursement rate would be through Medicare. So that gave everyone kind of surety that they could pivot because it's big investments by the labs bring up these tests and by these companies. So there's things that, the, you know, can happen at the federal level that kind of increase the skids, if you will, to kind of gear up the system to produce a new tests. That's something that is going to be uh, hopefully looked at because, you know, we have we take a little bit more. We again, the royal we that the government has taken a little bit more of a mixed approach here where that, you know, they've declared the public health emergency. They've engaged with the labs, increasing access to testing, but they haven't yet decided on the EUA and they haven't yet decided on reimbursement. And it just shows how all these things have to happen for the labs and the test manufacturers to have clarity on what they can do so they can go forward as quickly as possible. As you say, I mean, the most important thing is that people get tested, particularly now that it's in not in the first at-risk group was uh, men who have sex with men, and they still are, but it clearly is beyond that now. So in, so understanding, you know, getting tested becomes then really critical. So we have to think about this. It's interesting that EUA hasn't been issued yet, because I also think it also speaks to kind of where the Valid Act that we've talked about stands now too. I can give you a little update on that if you'd like. Yeah, that would be great, Bill. What have you heard recently? There really is a lot of discussion happening now because this is, of course, considered a super rider valid with the FDA funding package, which has to get passed before the end of September or else the FDA will run out of funds and then they'll have to put employees on furlough and those sorts of things, which is not what they want to do, especially right now when there's so much that needs to be done. It really boils down to with the House... Energy and Commerce Committee and the Senate Health Committee leadership getting together, looking at all the things in that bill. There's things in there about cosmetics and drugs and dietary supplements. They all have to be kind of considered and worked out. But I think on ballot, it's important because there has been concern raised by, by the academic medical centers about if their ability to bring up tests, and, but yet you want something that's fair and applicable to everybody. So I think just like with monkeypox, you know, what's the role of academics? Do we want to be too restrictive to, and then not give access to testing versus making sure the testing that's available is, is safely developed with the right, as you say, with biosafety three and accurate and those things. We'll hear more probably coming out of Labor Day is when things are going to really heat up. We'll start hearing more about this again. It's, it's been a lull for us because right now it's between these two and it's, I think they're still in congressional recess, but as soon as they come back, they're going to have to do something in September to get this issue resolved. So yeah, there'd be some more stuff for us to talk about, I guess. Yeah, it's really coming up soon. Here we are basically about a month away and something is going to have to happen soon. And I think it's a good reminder for people at this point to just say that the Valid Act is, talks about it would give the FDA official, it would put it in writing that the FDA has this official oversight of lab developed tests. The FDA already feels like they have that oversight. And from their laws, I mean, it really 
does show that they you interpret it that way, they already are at the table and they want to oversee lab developed tests. I think this is going forward, whether we are at the table or not. I think it's always better to be at the table rather than on the table or on the menu, as they say. So I think it's really important for us as laboratorians, for groups like ACLA and CAP to really participate in this process because it's going to go forward. It's going to happen. I think the FDA is going to move forward with this. And the alternative of going through CMS and CLIA, I don't think, honestly, that that's going to happen. I don't think no. that that route is something that's going to be viable because they don't want it, especially. No, they don't. Exactly. They don't. They've been clear about that. So, yeah, I think that's that two takeaway messages is that if Al doesn't pass to your point, that doesn't mean that this issue goes away. I think that's it'll be because FDA leadership, including Jeff Sharon, have been clear that this is a priority for them. In some respects, going to leave us in a more unclear environment if it doesn't pass. You just look what's happening with monkeypox testing. Actually, it might make it more difficult for us to operate just because we won't really have clarity on what's what the rules are. Because FDA will be able to step in kind of unilaterally. So we'll see. It'll be an interesting debate and and lots to think about. What regardless of the outcome. The second point is that to remember for those of you listening to reach out to your Congress to your representation in Congress. They really do listen, especially with this and reimbursement also on the table, which we'll have to talk about at some point. So think about that, uh, the getting group letters or inviting, you know, as people are home for recess, inviting your congressman to come visit your laboratory and explain to them what, or men or women, what they, what you do. So yeah, just stay engaged, I think is the most important thing. Yep. And listen to us. We'll, we'll give you the, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you the, we'll give you the straight and honest truth. The skinny. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a great update, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. We'll just keep, keep everyone updated on this and, and see what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to have more news in the coming month. I would think for sure. That's right. So, well, again, I look forward to talk, discussing with you because I always learn a little bit and, and enjoy it too. So same, same with me. Well, thanks, Bill. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.